Hi, folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoiseshek podcast. I am looking for your support. I want you to put your hand in your pocket, take out your phone, and click the link at the top of the podcast that you're listening to that says patreon.com forward slash Tortoiseshek. Throw us the price of a fancy cup of coffee and a scone once a month. It's the easiest bit of activism you can do, but it keeps the mics on and the conversations like the one you're about to listen to happen. We appreciate every single cent we get. And it's not a one-way street. You get a ton of additional content, including in the last few minutes, a conversation we had with Porrick Fogarty about that blog post that caused consternation with the Irish Farmers Association and ultimately led to his resignation from the Irish Wildlife Trust, of which he's been a member of for over two decades. A really fascinating conversation. And thanks to Porrick for joining us at such short notice. That's available right now on the Patreon feed, along with our entire back catalogue, completely plea-free, so you don't need to listen to me beg for your support, but beg I will continue to do because we need your support. One more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise That's enough of me rattling the bucket for today. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and I'm delighted to be joined in person by Mr. Ireland Thinks, uh, Kevin Cunningham. Kevin has been on this podcast several times over the last number of years, but this is the first time in person, Kev. It's good to see you and thanks for coming over to the Tortoise Shack. It's great. It's, it's much better to see your smiling face rather than on that Zoom. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, I think the amount of times I'm staring at the screen is just it's just too much. So, so yeah. it's good to. Oh no, it, it may, there it, may be there may be a point here after as well. There, so. there may there may be, and I and I think I could I think you could bend my rubber arm on that one easily. But listen, just before we get into it, um, obviously we're going to talk deep on polls. We're going to talk about um the, the we're going to nerd out, folks. Just warn you, we're probably going to nerd out on certain things. But in terms of the work that you've been doing over the years, just. You've had a very interesting uh, career. Like you've, okay. you, you, like. Let's just go. Can we get? Can we get that ninety second? Who you are for people who haven't heard from you before? Because I know, like, you're you've worked in the UK. You've been attached to the to a Labour government. You've worked in other aspects. Who is Kevin Cunningham? Jesus, uh, I'd say career wise, I guess I, I, I mean, probably the most informed. Well, I. I started a PhD in political science. My background is stats and maths before that. Mm. Trinity were very good to take me on. Michael Marsh, I don't know if you're, and you guys know Michael no. Marsh. He's a very prominent sort of physiologist, physiologist uh, I guess, Trinity professor. He kind of took me on very nicely to, to do the PhD. And halfway through, I started working for the Labour Party in the UK. They had loads of data. So I was just working from one campaign to the next, by-election, local election, the whole lot. And it was Fantastic because they they had a lot of really good data, mm. uh, so I could actually see and test um, and understand things that I wouldn't have understood as a political scientist on its own. Mm. Um, and also the cut and thr- thrust of of by elections and elections the whole time. I mean, it was just fantastic. It was really exciting. And at the time, did a little bits and pieces with the guys who were working with the at the time Obama's campaigns, mm. and so there was a lot of connections there. There weren't many people doing that sort of stuff at the time. And then since then, I came back a little bit of a brief stint in helping to set up the Social Democrats, but uh, with a certain politician and uh, things didn't really work out there. And then ended up working for the Irish Labour Party instead. And uh, and yeah, then I started uh, teaching as well in TU, teaching journalists about politics, which is great. Yeah, and, and really like so, but, but all the way along, you were still doing the data uh you were still always in, into the statistics. You were still doing the yeah. polling. You've still been working fero- ferociously. In yeah, terms so the, of- the reason why I set up this polling company, the Ireland Thinks thing, mm. is because for a long time I've been an analyst. So I usually get data, try to make sense of, try to understand it. Even back when 2015 I was working for the Labour Party, we had to adjust the polls mm. that we got. Mm. I had to basically change what their weighted result was into mm. something else to produce something that would be better predicting elections. Yeah. And when I went back to those companies and asked them, well, what's the story? Uh, there was no statistician, right? Really big companies, there was no statistician, no one with any sort of quantitative skills working in these polling companies. I came back to Ireland, worked for the Labour Party. Again, a very similar thing happened then again. Mm. And it was quite frustrating because I was like, right, no one's really producing high quality data for the sorts of stuff that I need. Mm. The The market research industry is essentially geared towards you know, larger kind of consumer marketing and, yeah. and they don't really care about the regional breakdown of of things. They they don't care as much about one percentage here, one two percentage there in terms of as we look at political parties. Mm. They're just looking for these broad trends which they need to produce for their clients or whatever. So 
Ireland thinks is, is essentially because I wasn't happy with the quality of the data that I was getting. Yeah. So a lot of it was just, I want to get data. Some people will fund it. I thought Nate Silver fixed all data for everybody, no? Nate Silver. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Nate Silver, uh, like he basically took takes polls, uh, evaluates them himself. Mm. He's never worked in a campaign. He's never worked in a political party. He's never actually done a poll himself. Still good branding though. Great fucking website, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Sorry, my language here. But yeah, no, but that, I mean, he would produce regression analysis. And when you're working, I mean, if there are people who listen to this who work for a political party, when you're working for a political party, what was what's really frustrating is the kind of Twitterati, I guess, because mm. there's things you can't say if you're working for a party. You, you literally, at least in my case, you signed a document to say, I'm not allowed to talk to the media. Mm. And then there'll be people making noise. Oh, why isn't the party doing this or that? And one of the... I guess one of the examples of this was around when I was working for the Labour Party around UKIP. Mm. When UKIP were rising, we had all this internal analysis constantly trying to understand the rise of UKIP. And then there are people just publicly saying, oh, the Labour Party don't really care about UKIP. It's like, actually, we're obsessed we're with obsessed them. We're obsessed with them, yeah. But, but we um, just can't say it because strategically, it's not in our interest to say, oh, we're doing a big report on UKIP. You yeah. know, it's and, and there's things parties don't say that and it's for their own strategic interest. I think, but that's already fascinating because we've, we've we're... We're in a new era now where polling has branched out into other areas. On Wednesday, for example, the EU Parliament will go to plenary vote on the on the um, nature restoration laws, and we you know we know how important that is. Poll after poll tells us uh, Irish people seem to care about yeah. the, these things being done, and yet we're still not even sure if the the Fine Gael MEPs are going to vote to to put these in, yeah. in place. So. How relevant is the polling relative to, you know, when they get their own in, internal, the polling, the, the headline polling versus what you're saying, the internal polling, do they say, well, actually, maybe. Um, well, there's internal other stuff going on there. Yeah. So like politicians, at least in my experience, uh, they often, I mean, they're often influenced most heavily by the sorts of things that they've heard most recently. Mm, right. That's true. Uh, so they're influenced by the sorts of things, sorts of people they meet and that sort of stuff. That's why lobbying is obviously a very big part. And in some cases, I'm not going to say lobbying is all bad, but because there is a function of informing politicians to make informed decisions. But polling fits into that picture. Mm. They get they're getting information principally, you know, if you know the lobbying system from relatively big companies. Yeah, yeah. And then the polling is probably in the most cases acting against that. So mm. they're they're making their judgment against these two things. And I would say broadly speaking, polls are, if we're going to talk about the morality of polling, which yeah. we can talk about that later, but polls are useful. Certainly, I mean, if you are, as, as you guys are, relatively left-wing, yeah, yeah. there's a whole lot of areas where the public are much more left-wing than government, than the sorts of lobbyists, where the lobbyists are and where all that sort of stuff are. Is. And obviously, if, if polling wasn't there, mm. You know, then the then the then the balance of where yeah, the information they're getting is. See, see, this is why you say it's interesting when because polling, lobbying, for example, can be quite diff different to what we would call activism. Yet it's not really; it's just a matter of access. So yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, some yeah, of exactly, the, yeah. so, it's all within the same system. Exactly, it's all like yeah. so 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 successful. The I'll give a real life example: the um, safe exclusion zones that happened because yeah. of activists going and keep continue to go because they tried to to quell it within the program for government. They tried to kill it a, a few times, yeah. and people kept coming back. That's the equivalent of lobbying as an activist, but it's not the same as getting as you know. Um, if I'm in Ibeck and having access to the minister or the minister's team every four or five days should I need yeah. it you know so there's there's differences there but but the lot but the but the polling can point them in the direction that they think the general public want them to travel yeah and this is why I find it quite quite strange now if we could just bring it just for the benefit of, of listeners let's be very bland for this at the, at the outset the trends in actual Irish political parties you've been you've been watching them since you returned we've seen the growth of Sinn Féin yeah. and we've seen what you know, and here's here's the question I put to you because you're looking at the data, the analytics, and the narrative now is that we have three medium-sized parties. I put it to you that your polling tells me that we actually have one large to medium-sized party and two slightly less than medium-sized parties, and then and then a, a plethora of of any anybody else. But the, am I am I wrong, or 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 is the or is the official headline better? Your classification, yeah, in terms of where the part. I mean, I think I think the parties are where they are. If we're talking about trends, yeah, uh, 
I mean, the trend, the trend is, I mean, one of the really interesting things about Irish politics is if you go back to the last election, Sinn Féin surged. And from what we see and from what we understand about all the data we have, that Sinn Féin surge happened not during the campaign. Mm. Actually, they started to decline a little bit during the campaign, if you, have, if you look at all the data. But they surged when the election was called, mm. just when the election was called, not immediately after the, um, there was a bunch of scandals in, in around that period, but it literally seemed to happen when the election was called. And there's a, a hypothesis I'm working on, which is essentially that a lot of people are very undecided, mm. okay? And people are getting their information from those that are more engaged in politics. They're suddenly deciding who they're going to vote for when the election itself is called. Yeah, that's so. So, me and you are interested in politics yeah. 365 days a year. Yeah. Some people will turn on for this two week period. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll suddenly start having the conversations with. Hmm. Say my sister, hmm. who might not necessarily be as interested in politics, and then that might influence and swing her in, in one direction or another. And what we saw in that election is that uh, vast waves of working class communities in particular swung towards uh, Sinn Féin and younger people. And so when we look at the trends and polls, it's worth uh, bearing in mind the fact that when the election gets called, when the next election gets called, we don't necessarily know what what surges next that is going to push I think that's really crucial because when you look at the trends that we're being told Fine Gael are slightly declining which they are month on month but the Sinn Féin peak has come they've regressed from their peak yeah the the, the interesting I mean the Sinn Féin if you so Sinn Féin the last election obviously got 24% they rose fairly steadily immediately after the election kind of a positive feedback effect mm. then they started to rise uh, towards around 37% yeah. last no, last October, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and then declined since then. That was their peak. Yeah, that was their peak. And and the other thing that has tracked that exact trend is the cost of living. So the relative assailance of the cost of living as an issue has tracked Sinn Féin. And one of the other interesting things is if you actually go back to the last election, the cost of living was like the fourth most important issue, but mm. almost everyone who's had the cost of living at that election was a Sinn Féin voter. So it is this kind of issue that can obviously influence people who are in the kind of middle ground, yeah. people who may not necessarily be decided about who they're voting for or whatever. But uh, see, this is why campaigns are a matter. Like we, we laugh, I know, you, and you're probably well aware of this, but if you if um, you remember famously, someone said that, that someone credited, and I think it was on the Irish Times, by the way, um, someone credited uh, Sinn Féin with the vote left, transfer left thing. Yeah. The first person to tweet that was Martin McMahon. The first person to say oh, right. that was we were man. we were live on That's stage in the in the Wiley Fox as it was with with a, a live podcast, and he said it. And what he said was, "Vote left, transfer left," and then he said, "Don't bottle it." You know, because the famous thing is people go in and with all these intentions, and then they say, "And I'm going to vote for." We always voted for. Yeah. Well, the left thing is interesting. It's a, it's another. So the, there's that kind of internal volatility, but then the other thing that's quite obvious in Irish politics is election after election and when people are asked to declare people are more likely to vote for left-wing parties so mm. historically speaking if you get all of the post-war democracies uh, almost sorry every other country had left-wing political parties earning but uh, getting between 30 and 50 percent in every election mm. uh, from 1945 all the way up until relatively recently and they're declining now in ireland we were quite unique the labor party was the only obvious left-wing party as in the one that mm. said it was left-wing uh, and they were obviously much lower but left-wing parties and parties that declare themselves as being left-wing are becoming much more popular in Ireland for people to vote for. Not only that, people are much more likely to identify as being on the left in Irish politics. Uh, it used to be the case that people were either centrist or right-wing. Now it's centrist or left-wing. So people who support Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil all pretty much say that they're in the centre of politics. There's a, there's a, there's a cohort of about 20% of Fine Gael's vote who says they're on the left. Yeah, probably that's Possible, yeah. You no, know, yeah. it is. I've, I saw it on, on, some okay. the, on the data. And the funny part of it was because they, I think, they misinterpret social issues as purely making them of the left. You know, like it's like I voted for repeal. I was over for marriage yeah. equality. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. It's like, well, where are you on, on capitalism? Where are you on social well, good? Where are you on the public sphere? You know, and, and but very much there is that mentality whereby um, because we, you know, again, back to this vote that's going to happen on Wednesday on, on um, the nature restoration laws, that shouldn't be a left-right thing. That should just be a survival thing. That is, I mean, the climate stuff is now being politicised into those dynamics, which doesn't help no. uh, those that are 
interested in climate uh, action. Uh, the politicization of the issues is definitely not helping. Uh, it, it's rising. The So the number of people, generally speaking, who are kind of, let's say, climate skeptic mm. might be 10 to 15 percent. There's another maybe 20 percent who are just uncertain. Mm. And then the rest, you know, significant majority are in favor of everything mm. responsive as long as it doesn't necessarily cost them. Yeah, well, we get to but that as well. <laughs> that's, you know, some people... I have queries with that but you know it's an understandable sometimes that's a function of how the questions are asked mm. it's like would you like nice things yes I'd like nice things would you like nice and things then, if, if, if it cost you an extra whatever yeah and people say well no uh, and and those responses are understand like mm. it, people criticise the public sometimes and they say oh, oh silly people but actually if you phrase these questions in this way these are entirely justifiable and reasonable answers. Well, hang on now. We've seen a lot of problems with how some of the, in my opinion, how some of the questions have been asked, particularly around Ireland's neutrality. And we've seen situations yeah. where they've had to <laughs> correct how they've reported on it, you know, where it was where it was clearly the 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 20% of people who were in favour of Ireland's move, changing its neutrality, 70% of them agreed with this this line. And you're thinking, well, hang on, what about the 80% who didn't give a shit? Who, yeah. You know, and... So that is it just on survey questions themselves, yeah. right? And I think the the best way to to look at a survey question is like if you give people if you try to give people all the information in the question, right? Mm. That's what's the way some people think that what you should do. Then invariably you're going to have a biased perspective. If you explain all these different things and you know, invariably the longer that question is, not only do you kind of get a drop off in terms of people's ability to answer it, but also you get kind of a response that's predicated on what you have told them, okay? Mm. And that's a problem. So generally speaking, the better questions are the ones that are shorter. Mm. It, it may not give them all the information, but at the end of the day, a poll isn't designed well, the, the, to say, let me just finish this one point, mm. a poll isn't designed to tell the government exactly what the government should do. It's mm. it's a tool for influencing, I think, to some extent, how people understand the public is but on, also, on an issue. Also right? to help... Uh, Shape public opinion in certain aspects. Yeah, I think like people say that, but yeah. I will. I mean, I'll give you. I'll give you a real I mean, like. Here's so we we've seen, and well, actually, maybe I'm arguing against the bandwagoning effect. Yes. Well, I you know the the funny thing is certainly in politics. I remember I was in a studio once, and a Fianna Fáil representative was criticising polls. She was saying that uh, polls should be banned for the run up to elections. Okay. Because. She felt at the time that Sinn Féin surge was a was a bandwagoning effect, yeah. and, and we were influencing this sort of thing. It was, it's complete nonsense. In fact, if anything, the biggest poll that came out in advance of that election was uh, a slightly outlier poll, which had Fianna Fáil uh, on thirty two percent, and they they were nowhere near that according to the other sure, polls that came out the same weekend. Fianna Fáil, the representative, must must have forgotten how how hard it was just to get Mary Lou Macdonald considered to be included in the leaders' debates. Well, that yeah, and that that's kind of, yeah, and you know the funny thing that surge happened before that was the other thing I thought might have influenced the surge. But anyway, but the thing is, when you look at all the information around bandwagoning effects, mm. they do happen in in areas where people don't really give a shit. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Democratic primaries and Republican primaries historically always had these bandwagoning effects because people didn't really know who the candidates were. But they were all Republicans. So they, you know, there wasn't, and pre Irish presidential elections, you would imagine would have the same dynamic because there isn't really much to distinguish them. And there's, you know, so there's that. Uh, for political parties, there's no evidence of any bandwagoning effect. And I think for issues, if it's a nonsensical issue, like what's your favourite ice cream? Uh, you know, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. you know, no, but, but if it's an important it, issue. It could be something as simple that we'll all, okay. So, so the abortion one, right? Mm. Just remember the abortion referendum? Yeah, yeah. Every single poll we did had the same result. Every single poll for years basically said it's two-thirds in favour. Public are ready for this. Yeah. Mm, but when we go and so how important that was and how it tallies with what I'm going to say because when you look at other aspects where whereby, you know, there is certain, like, we see now the, I have reservations around hate speech acts and bills. I genuinely yeah, yeah. do. Um, absolutely do. I don't. I don't. I want. I want hate to be defined better than, than it is in the current um, way that's written currently. I want a few other things to be done, but I also accept the necessity of it uh, and how we need to do. You know, it's all well and good as a white, straight white middle class man to say. You know, I have these concerns when it's not really my skin. Yeah. In the yeah, game. Yeah. 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 Of course. But yeah. I see a consensus there seems to be 
look, we're just going to do this thing. Um, well, could we actually, can we, I'm not asking anybody to press pause. I'd like to see it refined, you know, and I don't see that, but the polling tells people just want to get this thing done, get it, get it across. And it seems, uh, no, the polling is quite divided on this. Mm, on, is this, am I, okay, tell me what you think. Oh, we had a, I had a poll on, on a uh, weekend before last, it was 40, four, 40 in favour, 40 against, 20 don't know. Yeah, okay, so that is very close, because my reading was, and again... But I think a lot of people don't really know what this is about. And you've also, okay. if you then threw it into the public, if you threw it into Leinster House or, or the Shannon, it's probably 80-20 in, you know, 20 people. 20. That, well, interestingly, I mean, I saw, uh, was it, I didn't read the article, but I saw Jim O'Callaghan had some... Yes, he's had, raised concerns. And I, he wasn't concerned a while ago, so maybe um, maybe there is a shift within the Parliament as well. Yeah, look, I just, I just find things... So... Let's talk about those aspects, the difficult ones, because I've referenced the questions that uh, I'll give you a real life example. So we'll ask a question about neutrality. Yeah. But we, no one ever really, I never see a question saying, what do you think of collective bargaining, folks? What do you think of... Uh, well, funnily enough, I've done oh, a no, survey on that before, yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, it's one of these things that I think trade unions are kind of uh, responding to, uh, but it was... That leftward shift that I've discussed earlier, uh, which is partly a function of the decline of religion and the relative changes then in working class communities, which would have otherwise voted for. But that that change amongst younger people and working class communities in relation to all that has shown that people are much more open to collective bargaining. But I would, you won't I, necessarily I find a newspaper interested in this that sort of topic. Here, this, but, is, this is what I'm saying to you because I would put it to you that most people... But is it a salient issue? If it's a salient issue... I was in the, I was in the, I was in the Iceland um, the store on Talbot Street today where the staff are occupying the place because oh, yeah, yeah. they've been treated like shit yet again. Is Debenhams 2.0. We're rolling this, this same scam over again whereby, you know, he sold his own company to himself and offset the debt and we're going back down this road again and it's, it's wash, rinse, repeat and Ireland still doesn't have any collective bargaining uh, agreements but I would I'd say if you ran a poll and asked say people under 25 forgive me people under 25 they probably would think we have collective bargaining because they hear it on US shows and the, the likes yeah. you know they wouldn't understand we don't have those rights and it's never it's never really features in polling whereas what you've you've hit upon it which is really crucial to this you've said will a newspaper pay for that poll and I, I you know I would say I wouldn't say that like you know the editors or anything are uh, opposed or anything like that themselves. I think it's the relative salience of the issue. And you could argue that those issues haven't reached the front page for other reasons, you might say, within the media system. I I, I don't know. It's not my... So, so let's talk about the things that do make it and the, the stuff that does get yeah. asked and how, how we're now at the stage whereby... Just on the neutrality thing as well yeah. before we... So we did one poll on neutrality... Yeah, uh, relatively recently, which tried to you know people are saying, "Oh, what is neutrality? It's all wishy washy or whatever, right?" But from what I understand about Ireland's neutrality, it's fairly closely connected to the triple lock. Hmm. Or if we're honest about it, that's really a double lock because the doll is 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 uh, as a previous academic once described, supine. It's not really independent of government or the executive in any uh, significant manner. So. We queried this and we said, like, so Ireland's neutrality, for to send X number of troops abroad, you need uh, the Security Council to agree with it. We listed who was on the Security Council, all of the countries, the United States and Russia, obviously. Uh, and we asked people, were they still in favour of neutrality or not? And they are. Mm. And sometimes with an issue like that, it's important to put those points in, right? And it's partly because... You know, the, the presumption sometimes in government and in politics is that, oh, the public don't really understand neutrality or don't understand this issue. And so the, so you kind of go, well, if we kind of put your point to them, mm. where is it going to go, right? Mm. And if people are still in favour, then it's clearly not just no. a lack of understanding, it's something else. And what's interesting about the, the neutrality question, we asked a question maybe at the start of the recent consultation mm. uh, on this, on, and it was phrased in a certain way. Um, to try to get it to a certain point and then uh, phrase again, the, the exact same question was repeated and support for that that particular position, uh, not neutrality, but support for NATO, sorry, in this case, uh, actually declined. Mm -hmm. 
over the course of this consultation. And look, if if that consultation's aim was to get a conversation going, then that's the direction which that 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 consultation it, produced it, a result. It, it certainly got a consultation. The consultation certainly got a conversation going, but it certainly it didn't give them the results that that they'd. Uh, well, it, but isn't that a, like an interesting experiment? Poll, big consultation, and it goes the opposite direction, and it says something about politics and the way in which does. activism and all this sort of stuff does have an impact. And why, as you said, the, the general public aren't as uh, aren't as tuned out in certain aspects and certain things do matter when we when we sit down and we think across the dinner table, you know, these yeah, things matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but again, back to what newspapers will pay for. Now we have like groups, um, other, other polling agents putting together polls and they're becoming the the genesis of reports, headlines, and it's about migration. Yeah, and it's so so. Two, it's a two-part question. So let's start with the first part: the moral it, obligation. This is a big topic. Yeah, absolutely, so, and okay. it, and it's heavy. So because it's it's the moral obligation on polling companies to say why are we asking that? Should we ask that? Is it you know if we if we change that from migrant to another minority, if we did it in such another way now? I've seen where they've where they've actually enlisted minorities be you know where they be by race color. Um, oh, they break down the poll according to ethnicity. Where the questions are asked based on you know. Oh yeah, right, yeah, you yeah. You know where well, it's like, that's... would you live next door to a traveler? Would yeah. you live next door to a member of the LGBT community? That I mean, that's a good. That's a. I mean, academically, that's a big question because they often show that people. Well, if you go back to the kind of Brexit discussions and stuff, they were able to show that in. In Britain, as against uh, uh, France, let's say, mm. people in France were much less likely to want to live next door to someone from another nationality, and Britain was much better. But then again, even though the United States is perceived as being mm. relatively right-wing, the public in the United States are significantly more liberal on that sort of issue mm. than almost all of Europe. Well, let's see, see well, now again, I was talking to someone in, in France recently, and uh, he lives, I won't say where he lives, but I asked him, well, it's, that, that place is beautiful. He said, yeah, if you don't mind the racists and fascists. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, there's certainly, a, there's certainly an, an argument for that um, in terms of the attitudes. But I come back to Ireland now, and specifically what we've watched, you re- referenced the Labour Party's obsession with UKIP in the past, where you couldn't yeah. talk about it. We've now seen, you know, where they've been out on the streets, they've said Ballymun is full, they've been outside you know they walked up and down out the road out here in front of me and said uh, Ireland is full they've you know I think we only have to we worry now that maybe the that the kid gloves of policing has wasn't the right decision we don't know that yet we'll see how it plays yeah. out what sort of political traction it gets but newspapers were clever enough then to say well actually let's get the, let's test this hypo- hypothesis and when you start to have those conversations do you legitimize it then or when you have conversations about where when the public po- when stands. When you poll it and you say, this is where we are, and in the, and by the way, there's some shockingly racist, like, I'll give you a, a really, a Harry McEvan-Sonia, who does the um, projection, Irish election projections, yeah, he was going through some of the, the data on, um, you mentioned the Sinn Féin vote. There's a portion of the Sinn Féin vote that yeah. would rather Sinn Féin were much more anti-immigrant. That is, that is definitely true, yeah. Uh, but, that is often exaggerated. Uh, I'm not saying by Harry, but mm. often by other media outlets, as, it, as if to say all of the Sinn Fein vote is like that. And, and, it's and, actually and it's a also, minority also, of the Sinn Fein vote. It's a minority highlighting. Sinn Fein vote, and it and exists in all other. Uh, and it exists almost to the same extent within Fianna Fáil, that particular uh, migration view. The area in which there is far more anti immigration sentiment is among supporters of independent candidates and aim to. Aim to is obviously very small, but independent candidates in particular, you, you look at the Irish doll, you can kind of figure out why, because mm. the independent candidates that we do elect tend to be tend to be the ones that have been quite um vocal in their opposition to migrate migrants. Brona Murphy, if you remember her yeah, by election. Uh, uh Noel Grealish, I think a couple of years ago made a big statement about people from Africa. Mm-hmm. He, he made a very disparaging remarks. Can, can I make a there's, comment? There's a whole say, can I make a comment saying they're both um normal party gene pool, by the way? When Verona Murphy made her comments, she was a Fine Gael, uh, candidate at that yeah. time. Yeah, but you know, the thing is, she didn't get elected then in the by-election, but then got elected very successfully as an that's independent candidate. But that's also because the independent candidate voter. Hmm. Now, I don't want to kind of vilify 
people who vote for these people, right? Mm. I don't want to say, well, these are the baddies and, and that sort of stuff, because actually it's a little bit more complicated. I think, like... A long time ago when I was doing that UKIP stuff and we were doing lots of focus groups trying to understand former Labour voters going to UKIP, what's going on here? And you, you have these discussions about immigration to try to understand what really is it mm. that they care about when it, when it comes to immigrants. And initially the conversation is is always about resource allocation. Mm. They're always talking about housing, even when, I mean, in Ireland's mm. case, we do have a housing issue. But in Britain, at least there wasn't a housing issue. And these, these people weren't looking for housing or anything like that. And... But then you break it down further and further, and it's usually about the fact that they they feel that they can't have a conversation with the person in the shop or mm. whatever it is. And if you break down that further, you kind of talk to them about their lives and all that sort of stuff. They tend to be very nostalgic, mm. okay, about the past. They tend to, you know, they they're the sort of they wouldn't necessarily want to migrate for a job. They're very rooted in their local areas, uh, which is a good thing, obviously, rooted in their communities in, in a lot of ways. And um, in some cases, they're they're lonely, to mm. be honest with you, um, on on some level. And so, I I, I wouldn't want to vilify these people, but there is a there's an overlap between the idea of voting for an independent local candidate mm. and the sentiment that the place has changed and too many immigrants and that sort of stuff. Yeah, right? they, this isn't this isn't the place I grew up in it, because because their motivation to live there in the first place, they've chose. I mean. I, I used to ask a question, which is like, what, are, what is your principal motivation in life? Is it your career? Is it your place? Is it your community? All this sort of stuff. They're much more likely to be in that kind of community side of a, of a career. And all that sort of stuff relates to all this. And this is, I think, our electoral system, one of the principal reasons why we don't. So when I was doing my PhD, it started off being, why does Ireland not have a far right party? Mm. My supervisor decided that that was not a salient enough topic at the time, mm. so it ended shifting gears, and and it ended up being part of it was the say why does immigration become a salient or non salient issue? And mm. this is over ten years ago now. I was doing mm. this, but the the thing about the the thing about the Irish political system, the Irish electoral system, is that we have PR by STV. We're the only country in Europe which actually elects a significant number of independent candidates, yeah. and they're doing very well in the current polls. They're doing very well. They, they're polling at the same that they polled last time, though. Yeah, what does that mean? Between the last poll and now, they had they had declined because it looked like they were they were they they had their yeah they're on thirteen in the yeah. most recent one. Yeah. I had, but when we you, but we will go back to the salience. But, but sorry, just to make the, the this last point about the far right is or depending on right or far right, you know, there's a bit of a blend somewhere between those two, but. In relation to independence, it disorganizes what would otherwise be uh, a solid vote for a party. It also means that from the public's perspective, their access to politics is there. Mm. We're not restricted. So like, let's say in Germany or in Austria, you have these big electoral thresholds, right? So it's very hard. And it's a list system. Mm. So, you know, to become a politician, you have to be pals with the leader of the party. And that, you know, your relative friendship determines how high you are in the list. So they're very closed, cartel-like political systems. The Irish political system is very, very open. Mm. So it quells to some extent that kind of populist, uh, Ireland is very populist, but it does quell the kind of anti-system aspect of what would otherwise be this far-right immigration. And it disorganizes the far-right because, you know, you have Matthew McGrath and Manuel Grealish and they can get elected independent of one mm. another. They don't, don't have to form a party. Behind a wing, uh, behind. But and they don't get the political coverage as a result. So it, there's a whole connection there with our electoral system and the relative uh, weakness of, of those. Well, the, that, that the, thing. The, I would agree. I would also say that there's also some warm homes for people who share some of those views within major parties in Ireland. You know, I would. Yeah, I, would say I mean, it's always in, in. I mean, even in the Labour Party in the UK, there used to be kind of. I mean, you know, I actually shouldn't name names, but no. there were, you know. No, absolutely, and, and but but every party has its it, blend, even if it's conceived what, to be. What a, do you think, though, of the of the continual return now to wanting to have the Sunday papers have a, a something about immigration and 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 have this debate? Is it's not? Is it? Because I don't think it's as, as as relevant as 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 people think it is. I don't think if we sat down, as you said earlier, and said, "Let's see what's the most the general election is coming. What do people care about? It'll be the cost of living. It'll be housing. Yeah. It'll be health. Somewhere down there, on about fifth or sixth, might be immigration. Immigration. Well, it's. I mean, if you go back a year, mm. it was only like two percent saying immigration was a top two issue. Now it's well, the last one I think it was seventeen or thereabouts, and back in January it was relatively high as well. And that is a marked change. I'm. 
I mean, but part is that of, because is that because of the success of these far right protests, or is no, that because of the how is that because of the the how, the how it's reported? Yeah, how it's reported. I don't. Yeah, so a lot of people make that argument. A lot of people say, "Oh, well, you know, people only think things are important because you know it's what reported in the media." You know, if I go back to one of the first times I did this most important issues question was back in 2017. I presented it to uh, some senior people in a political party, mm. right? And it showed housing being the most important issue. They flat out did not believe the result. Yeah. Okay. It it wasn't it, the level of salience in, in news media was nothing like that, right? And during the referendum on repealing the Eighth Amendment, right? That was a that was wall to wall coverage, right? Yeah, yeah. But like. In the open-ended text responses, like 1% or 2% said it was the most important issue. So there is a, a distinction, I think, in the minds of the public between what they think is important and what the media tells them is important. I mean, you know, they, we did this thing. There was no, no one talked about it. I have these open-ended text responses. Corruption and all that sort of stuff, which mm. is an important issue for a lot of people, it didn't really increase in spite of this whole RT thing. The people, no. I think at the end of the day, you know, Particularly for the left, you have to trust the public because mm. it's all you got. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's either the public or some other system, and that's it. Like you know, it's it, it, which is going to be top down in some in some so shape or form. Just uh, again, oh, I have to ask you about uh, just for your own your but own it, things because Harry asked me to ask why 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 don't you have regional tabs? Why don't you have better breakdowns on 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 the stuff you do? Yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, this is full nerd now here. By the, the way. The, uh, we should return to the immigration we thing will, because yes, I, yeah. I, yeah, there's Please more do. to talk about that, uh, and I've got a, a story for you as well in immigration. But uh, the um, uh, the cross tabs is is a very good point. Uh, partly, um, uh, there's a part selfish reason in some in some way, right? In that by the time I do the poll, it's a, it's a bit of a whirlwind, right? Mm. So do the poll, run it get everything in, do the paper, write the article. By the time I get to uh, Saturday or Sunday morning, I am, or, well, not even Saturday because there's still stuff going on on Saturday. By the time I get to Saturday night, I'm so exhausted like by everything and Sunday that there's a genuine laziness. So in you terms just of, press and submit? No, it, to produce tables, you have to do certain things. You have to yeah. run the tables. I mean, when I do the stuff with the with the guys, I, I give them the top line. I run the numbers, give yeah. them the top line, but producing tables is just another couple of buttons. So you're right, that, that is just a pure laziness. And also the fact that I think sometimes it's like, I, I ask a lot of demographic questions. Mm. Uh, so not just, so most people do age, gender, whatever. And I, it's almost the fact that I have all these other bits and pieces that I want to be able to put them out as well. Mm. So every month I kind of think, oh, well, I want to do this, especially around the media. I think media consumption is a big, I mean, you'd expect that because I teach journalists. Mm. Uh, I think media consumption has an interesting relationship. It's not that people consume certain types of media, they're influenced by it, and, and there's this kind of... Um, a bubble effect uh, that has been quite widely disproven. It's the it's the levels of consumption, the amounts people are consuming of media actually seems to influence their behavior and stuff like that. But, but anyway, going back to the point, regional breakdowns mm. are a little bit of a pet peeve of mine uh, in some respect. So if you were to, this is going to get a little bit nerdy, right? Um, polls themselves are not necessarily constructed to be representative within the region, mm. okay? Uh, they're constructed to be representative of Ireland as a whole. That might mean that you end up having, you want to make sure you have the right percentages of people each age, yeah. uh, each gender um, uh, region. But then also, if you understand that poll, uh, there's been some studies uh, such as, oh God, what's the name of the organization? There was a study done in the United States around polling accuracy and it found that the rela strongest relationship you can have with polling accuracy is if you weight your poll, that is adjust your poll to ensure it's representative as according to attitudinal variables, not demographics. Mm. Gender, by the way, has very little impact on most attitudes. Uh, but if you weight your polls according to religiosity, mm. which I'm a big fan of doing, uh, then it can kind of get it more accurate or other sorts of things. So these are the weightings that you're referring to that that, that help you if you're trying to, if you're sampling, say, 100 people, yeah. and you need to try and make sure if it's representative of... Yeah, the, the basic intro to weighting is, let's say you do a sample of 100 people, let's say you have, uh, let's try and make the numbers easy, I guess, uh, 60, 60 of them are female, 50, uh, 40 of them are male, 
uh, you need to adjust those two. You need to adjust the value of each individual person in your poll to make sure it's representative. So, th- so the male ones won't be worth one person. Mm. They'll be worth like one point, whatever, a little bit to try it's to like, move. Like how move. I feel about myself. A move, little, yeah, bit better, yeah. little bit more important than everyone. So there's some demographics that are relatively hard to get, right? Yeah. And people often talk about it, that the demographic is relatively difficult to get. Sometimes is the older, lower levels of educational attainment, more rural vote, more mm. rural person. Uh, former Fianna Fáil and all that sort of stuff. So in my polls, I make sure I have the exact right number of those people. So mm. people get invited to do the poll on the basis of their mm. demographics. And then after they complete the poll, then that, then there's another stage of um, waiting to ensure it's representative. But the, if you want to weight something, there's a thing called a marginal distribution. This is where we get very nerdy, mm. which is just like individually taking each of these characteristics and making sure that they're representative. Mm. But then there's also an idea called the joint distribution, where you combine them. So it's not just making sure males and age groups are representative in their isolation, mm. but rather the cross-section of those. Yeah. So making sure I have the right number of male 18 to 24-year-olds and female 18 to 24-year-olds. You're, 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 doing, you're doing polling intersectionality. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Now, imagine how many variables I've got. Age, gender, religion, uh, educational attainment, region, all that sort of stuff. If you want to make sure that your poll is also representative within those Mm. demographic categories, you have to do all those joint distributions with the region as well. Mm. Like I have, the data I have is absolutely fine. I just have a a pet issue with when people look at the regional crosstabs because of all of the crosstabs... We're really nerding out here. Of all of the of all the variables in your poll, right? Yeah. Age, gender, all those stuff. Region is almost a microcosm of the country. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't correlate with much, right? Mm. And so for that reason, it's not going to be as reliable an indicator of any differentiation between. So, you know, if you wanted to make your poll really really accurate, region is one of the worst things you would want to form a joint distribution on because there's very little value in making sure that the, and the thing is when you're when you're doing a poll mm. this is i mean i'm going i don't know how much you want to hear this but when you're doing a poll you have to make a decision about what you want to weight if you weight against everything mm. you do this thing called overfitting mm. in statistics there's an idea called the bias variance trade off mm. which is where you're trying to look at the extent to which something is relatively accurate and and forced in a certain way mm. versus allowing the data to do itself because you can overfit and yeah, fuck yeah. things up by, by putting in too many by putting in too many so you have to be very selective and I generally push towards the attitudinal variables because they're better predictors can of I, behaviors something strikes me though um, and this is yeah. but uh, look by the way I should do it so you know yeah, I mean right. if it's just region like, yeah, like Harry right. uh, I'm, I'm glad we got the question for you Paul I hope you got a little bit out of that you know um, just just to be just to be very um, quick on a few things you mentioned you know you obviously you've worked with the Labour Party UK you've worked you came back you worked a little bit with the Labour Party here you've worked at, you've 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 you know been involved with as you said for a time with the Social Democrats the currently at the moment now we see the Labour Party at their lowest in yeah, the, yeah. Um, yeah we see uh, the sock Dems at one of their highest. Is that the, still the same vote that it was? It's just now. It's just now purple rather than red. No, it's different vote. People haven't switched. Uh, different demographics. Uh, one of the interesting things about politics is always and I wrote this article in the Guardian a couple of years ago, which was very controversial. Got uh, everyone in the Labour Party seems to hate me as a result, and it got used then by Lisa Nandy. Uh, to kind of give out about people within the Labour Party in the UK that that you know she was trying to kind of say are the baddies in the Labour Party. But one of the the argument I'm putting I put forward is that every left wing party mm. has to continually try to uh, win new votes from younger people, mm. and that that should be other you know people naturally get a little bit more conservative as they age. There's a certain subset that will always bleed from left to right as mm-hmm. people get older because they get more assets and, as we know, yeah, left yeah. and assets and all that sort of stuff. But So that means that left-wing parties have to continually be at the forefront or the vanguard of of the 
what people are believing, and, and you know that's why left wing parties are believing. Left wing parties should be believing in the, the, if you're going to be genuinely of the left, you have to believe in in social mobility, in decreasing inequality. You know, um, making impacts on those, those those key issues like health, housing, um, and you know the idea that that there's some form of equality of opportunity, at least access to 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 these things. Whereas what we see now, I think you've touched on it really well when it comes to say the, for example, our Labour Party is their vote never recovered from 2011 mm. it never recovered after after the 2016 yeah, well, yeah. The, when they went into power in 2011 to yeah, 2016 yeah, okay, yeah, 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 that yeah. government and the social democrats have come along maybe they 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 benefit from obviously having a younger more um engaged uh membership but they also then benefit from those people who we've touched on who are maybe saying i don't know if Sinn Féin are for me yeah, so he, there's a there's two things I'll say. So one, to, to just to round up the point I was going to make was just that like the Social Democrats are not are winning younger voters that would never have voted for Labour because if they were, had voted for Labour, they might have voted for them in two thousand and eight, but yeah. they were probably ten at the time, right? Yeah. So they're winning a new group of people, and that's actually one of the other things about the far right, by the way, just as an aside, which is terrifying. They 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 are winning voters within working class food communities who may not necessarily ever have actually voted for a left wing party before mm. it's a different subset but anyway uh the the second thing what was it going to say about the sock times again uh so what were you saying again there tony <laughs> no just on so so it's interesting that you say that 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 they're that the sock Dems have a new vote i'm not surprised but what i am concerned about i suppose as as a broad left you know, uh, like again, I, 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 my concern is, you know, Sinn Féin identifies a party of the left that I, at the moment we know that they are definitely, definitely trying to make soundings to attract more of the, the middle vote. That's kind of part of their oh, agenda. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but when, when we talk about it in, in a blended thing, the only people who are literally planting their flag out there on the left continue to be PPP. Uh, yeah. And, and they're they're holding the line in, in many ways. And I, and, and I, for one, think that's great because someone needs to hold the line when others are kind of bleeding into into the more mainstream of, of our politics. Yeah. I but, mean, one of, the, one of the distinctions about Sinn Féin as against the Social Democrats you mentioned earlier, mm. One of the clear delineations between those two blocks of voters is about climate. I okay. So I, if you look can, at can I ask you about that? Change, so two, I, I mean, that, like the that, core climate vote, yes, is much more likely to be in Sockdown, Green, and Labour. Yeah, where, where well, PBP will say they're red green um, and and PBP. Yeah. Sorry, but, I should mention. But I find well. it interesting because I again, this is not to speak in favour of um, Sinn Féin, but if you heard my podcast during the week with Lynn Boylan I put it to her that you know where are you guys on climate are you serious about it what are you doing yeah. and she introduced a, her own bill into the Shannon this week that's got government support to stop say companies like Amazon dumping so she you know they're doing these things whereby but I think what you're getting at is you're saying their voter their vote base isn't as concerned about it as no, no. yeah the vote base is slightly different it's yeah. it's it, it is it is very similar to the Sockdown vote base in a couple of ways, like housing, young people, mm. more left wing on redistribution, all that sort of stuff. But on climate, that's probably the biggest distinction. People talk about the immigration stuff. Actually, climate is where, you know, there's a sub, I mean, you were talking earlier about there's only a fourth, fifth issue, mm. you know, where immigration is. Climate is basically the same. Mm. You know, it's, it, but they're big issues. They, these are, these are big issues. And, you know, compare that against, education and all that sort of stuff which mm. is way way down mm. unfortunately mm. Uh, but all those are, and, and child care 1% care about that right yeah. but those two issues climate and immigration is this kind of people sometimes talk about culture wars and let's all go sort of let's work. go into that then because our culture wars now bled into our polling I hate the term culture wars. So do I. I don't. I, I think it's. I think we've imported that as as much as we've imported. But I like it, without saying. You know, is it distraction politics? Is it theatre? Is it simply you know like it's been used successfully well, by you? You referenced. Yeah. You referenced UKIP. You referenced. You know what we saw. What's happened to the Tory Party now? We saw Rishi Sunak's pledges. He talked about small boats. Like, like, yeah, 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 like yeah, get yeah. a grip. Like this is, and and then well, a lot of some of some of this is sort of. I mean, there's one angle which is it's a lot of it's dead cat politics. You know, yeah, putting, throwing a dead cat on the on the table. Yeah, but also even from sort of left wing parties' perspectives, the ability for people to control who does media from left is very difficult now. So like. A, a journalist in any media outlet will pick on, will take up the guy though, or girl or whoever who who 
who goes on those issues mm. and the party themselves and the you know strategists will have their heads in their hands because they're like we don't need that issue you know we we don't want to, th- yeah. those issues to be raising salience because we lose on those issues we lose on certain issues like immigration mm. and win on certain issues uh, political parties would would argue uh, on things like redistribution mm. on incomes rich people versus poor people yeah. and yeah so why is it then for so why is it then that I am of the impression maybe I'm wrong tell me I'm wrong that we are much more in a in a in a realm whereby on my Sunday newspapers I will I will read polling that comes that refers to things like matters that like same sex bathrooms you know things that, oh, yeah. that, 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 that like come on we, we we should I thought we got over this years ago when you you go into like the the toilet right beside us in the room next to us, by the way, is a same-sex bathroom. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, get a grip, folks. It is uh, kind of odd that, uh, that <laughs> yeah, it is kind of odd. But anyway, if I look, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not asking you to defend polling. I'm not asking you to defend. Well, I, you know, if I, I want to, if I was to defend polling, I'd come back to that principal argument that I said. But you know, you have to take the good with the bad in some respect in terms of. Uh, the issues, most of those, most issues in polling will favour the left. That's that's absolutely true. And some people don't like polling, don't like referendums and stuff like that. Certainly in the UK, they start to kind of reconsider a little bit. Obviously, after Brexit, they're like, "Well, how much do should we be listening to polling?" So, so this is, but that's only after they ignored the polling I, for I'm a long period of time. Now, because I can hear um, an Irish Times letter writer in my in my ear tell, telling me that you guys are sitting there both talking about perspectives from the left. But at the end of the well, day, I'm, I'm, I look. I, I'm, I'm, saying now, no, I'm saying we're talking about perspectives from the left. Not, I'm yeah, saying, I'm not I, saying that you're. I'm not saying that you're espousing them. I'm just talking. No, about, I, I, but, I so, wouldn't. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, but an Irish Times letter writer might say, "Yeah, but um, people say they want that. You know, people say they want wealth redistribution. But if that meant that the the price of their house went down." Get a grip, you know. They're, they're well, interestingly enough, did a survey on whether people were willing for the house prices to go down, and they they were. Uh, so that so that whole thing is a bit of a canard. Oh, I think that's brilliant. Like, I, like yeah. I had that conversation with Richard Murphy in the UK um, during the week about how the best case scenario is we could somehow manage the the deflation recycle of of, of house prices as opposed to what we do. We we wait for yeah. the crash. I'm aware. I keep. I keep. We keep on going away from the immigration yes, thing, and the, and, the, and, the, and the point that you're making about should these questions be asked. Yeah. Uh, I think for the immigration question itself, you know, and let me give you my background perspective on, okay. on, on this for a second. So when I was doing this PhD on on, on the whole thing, right? Uh, it was why does why does why is it politicized in some countries and not in others? Ireland being a country for which it wasn't politicized at the time, yeah. trying to understand when and how it got politicized in Ireland and trying to understand the dynamics thereof. And it was it ended up focusing a little bit on a couple. Of, yeah, I've, Michael McDowell made the argument in defense of his referendum. Anchor babies. But his political argument, which mm. is which is a matter of public record because it's made in the door, was that if we don't enact this legislation, then the opportunity for right far right wing parties to emerge in Ireland will be enormous, right? Mm. And there's a very there's some significant research that suggests that, although the bulk of my research suggests that actually that's not really a thing. But there's definitely a, a very strong argument that if you conceal certain um uh, discussions, I guess, in public, if it, there's a presentation that these are not to be talked about things then it can fuel it even more in some respect. While 17% identify immigration as an important issue, it is significantly lower than that of mainland Europe mm-hmm. uh, and the UK uh, back in 2016, 2017 when it was like 40% and Ireland was nothing compared mm-hmm. to them and I, I think in some respect some of the problems in those other countries stem from what Peter Mayer would have written about a long time ago about the ruling the void. He wrote a fantastic book, uh, academic, uh, European academic called Peter Mayer, Irish guy, uh, wrote a great book called Ruling the Void, which talked about how the hollowing out of democracy was was leaving itself open to populist forces mm. attracting. And, and one of these issues is immigration that internal to Labour Party, I was always having this argument with uh, the 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 this is in the British Labour argument with other strategists about what to do about this particular issue. Mm. My argument was don't talk about it, right? Mm. Move the conversation into more favourable territory. They wanted to 
to front up about it mm. to allow themselves then to move into those areas. I don't know if you remember, do you remember back in 2014, there were these kind of controls on immigration red mugs? Yeah, yeah. And they ended up having this like headstone plinth with control immigration written on the Labour Party yeah, yeah. just to convince the public that, that they Ed were Mi- serious about it yeah Ed Miliband was sound in that question mm. we'd written an internal document which ended up getting leaked to the Telegraph mm. uh, and David Cameron himself ended up waving it at Ed Miliband because the document said move the conversation on don't talk about it reduce the salience of the issue mm following on from this Schatzschneider theory mm. and it's fairly solid in my PhD about all this sort of stuff the, the most strategic way in which you deal with this as a left-wing party is to move the conversation on so I understand that that's that's the thing but as a pollster mm. and and my focus is in some respect on having a dom- democracy having buy-in from politicians and everything about the the centrality of polling and public opinion with within democracy which it's something that tends to favour the left, as I say. Mm. That comes with th- this sort of headline as well, you know. Yeah, I and accepting that 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 that, that that's part of the role. What I'm what I'm what I'm more or less getting at though is is then when we're doing it in such a way as then at what at what stage? I suppose, and this is not really a question for you. It's more of comment for me. Do we then editorialise the output? Do we look at this and then we editorialize it and turn it into an actual, you know, this is what the data tells me. Kevin's company's produced this. I'm going to read this here now and then I'm going to say, you know, based on what that says and my feelings about it. And 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 are we then putting ourselves into a into an area whereby, I like you, you reference certain communities that are like there's absolutely um, places across the spectrum, but co- communities that are socioeconomic deprived for decades there is, there is. It's easier to get to for for those ideas to gestate there because it's easier then to for 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 a the government to say blame blame the other, create the outgroup. Uh, yeah. Now we have the outgroup, and then we've defined the outgroup, and we not only defined the outgroup. There's an editorial in in um in a Sunday newspaper, and it tells you who the outgroup is, and I can listen to Joe Rogan, and he'll tell me what the problem is or something. You know. Well, the the poll itself is obviously just telling reflecting. What the public opinion is, but yeah, I guess you're saying the editorial. I, I, I think there's in some respect that thing about the community, though, as well. One mm. of the things is that, like, yeah, as you say, these are often people who, like, these are there's there's these like we're working you know, class tr- communities are are fil- filled with wonderful people who love their community, and want to yeah, do yeah, want to, yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. but what we have there's on, a mix, I would say, of mix people everywhere who but, are left but, and right, and ten right wing people in these communities tend not to vote. Mm. And now that they do vote, they obviously vote. Because, you know, if you are uh, in a very poor socioeconomic um, position and you don't agree with the left mm. because you just, you, you know, your makeup, your your view of the world and your yeah, experiences yeah. Has, has led you to believe that the left are not great, mm. then you probably won't vote because you're not going to vote for the government either. But then these guys come along mm. and then they offer this. And I think it's just, I think it's there. I don't think the polls and stuff are legitimizing it or okay okay um we'll we'll i just want to watch it closely because i do think it's something that that worries me um and not just you know where we were from from polling that we we've seen a decade ago to where we're what we're polling now is that because the polling is just more more reflecting what the public are talking about possibly yeah. possibly there has to there has to be a bit of both in there i mean there, there i mean there is also opportunity for policy response so coming back to the phd again one of the things that was very clear and obvious uh, was the importance of integration. Mm. Okay. And I don't mean forcefully no, doing no. things, but, you know, I mean that the way to depoliticize this issue is through excessive integration policies, through like very, very strong integration policies. But isn't it funny you said, um, when you said move the, move the conversation uh, forward, move. You know, move, well, move. In our case, is moving into healthcare, the NHS. Yes, but what I find interesting is we've gone now again. The caveat: everything. There's been a war in Ukraine. We've fifty thousand people who've arrived. You know, we've all of these other things that have happened that that we couldn't have foretold. However. We were talking about a white paper to end direct provision. We were talking about reception centers that were supposed to be open now. We haven't broken ground on any of them. We were talking about then integrated people leaving direct provision and going into community um, resources where they, you know, they'd be given a support network where they were introduced to people so they wouldn't have to worry about, you know, there are now people in direct provision effectively receiving eviction notices. And that for me is a bigger story than, um, you know, 
fucking five grand on flip-flops. And I'm sorry, I'm going on a bit of a rant now, but you... you, you, you yeah, you I was hoping we wouldn't talk about Orgy because it's just so boring at this yeah, stage. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I have no real interest in... Uh, like, you know... I, this I, is my own view. Yeah, no, like, I mean, and I get why people are interested in that like because it's you know it's juicy uh, yeah I think it's at the red- start it was a bit of fun now yeah. it's a serious thing You're like, yeah oh, but it's it, it, yeah but again but I don't I actually disagree with the people who are saying um, no one will ever trust them again there was already distrust in large parts of the media we've seen that yeah, this is, yeah, 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 yeah. so no, I don't know if that attitude's going to change or be that negatively impacted I don't think you're going to win any hearts and minds and I think on the flip side you know so so that that's like Look, I've I've labored I've got labored the point too much on this. No, go on. If we could wrap on on the on the issue now of what you see as what what's wrong with polling or what what polling doesn't tell you. Huh. What polling doesn't tell you? Well, I mean, uh so there's there's a thing with polling that um I mean, like, I my whole thing for years was was trying to uh, identifying all the flaws in polling, and it's often very tricky because I I now am in a position where I can't really talk about that publicly because then I'm directly criticizing other companies, yeah. and then there's like people say, "Oh, well, you have a financial interest," but my obsession really is about the methodological differences and stuff like that. But one of the bigger things is about one of the things I often see spoken about is the difference between face-to-face and online. Mm. And that that is an important distinction, but there are pros and cons to one or the other. I mean, some polling companies do it face-to-face, some do it online. The face-to-face ones tend to have higher support for Fianna Fáil. The online ones tend to have slightly lower support for Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil, as a party, do relatively well amongst people with um, on, on the basis of the candidate. Mm. Okay, so the last election, the people who could name their candidate accurately were much more likely to be Fianna Fáil voters. Okay. Uh, people when people were asked whether they were voting for a candidate or a party, they were much more likely to be a Fianna Fáil voter as well. Mm. When we asked them, here's a bunch of candidates, who are you picking? Or was it the candidate of the party? Fianna Fáil voters, right? So, so in some respect, the polls across the board will underestimate Fianna Fáil to some extent, based based on this. But the face to face ones have slightly higher Fianna Fáil. One of the issues with face to face polling is that it is uh, very difficult to get. Uh, a, a bigger geographical spread, which is one of the other reasons why regional um, analysis is a bit more limited, because you have to do cluster sampling. That means that within each region you have a limited number of places. It means that if you're going to do, let's say, 8% of the country has uh, lives in a council house, so you're going to do 8% of your sample in, in a council estate, although I would assume actually quite a lot of the rural um, polling is probably conducted in council estates because it's quite difficult to do polling. It's more denser. You want to go and, and in some counties, like I did a face-to-face not that long ago. I do do face-to-face polling mm-hmm. and uh, I did a face-to-face one there in Clare. I mean, 90% of the, that's exaggeration, but like a lot of the concentration of housing, mm-hmm. like I'd say over 50%, outside of Venice, mm-hmm is councilising where it is concentrated. Mm. And then all the, the houses all over the place are all obviously not. Mm. So there's a, you know, if you're doing a face-to-face poll, you're going to end up having a much higher number of houses. You're also much less likely to have people who are living at home with their parents because what we know about people who live at home with their parents is they're not usually at home with their parents. Mm. Uh, and uh, apartment blocks. And so one of the distinctions between the polls is often around housing. Mm. So if you imagine if you're doing a face-to-face, so, so you you're constrained be, by housing. If you're doing online... Genera- you could be missing generation left at home. Yeah. You're, you're be- yeah, And like that's one thing that's systematically missed out. I mean, even in the census, right? Mm. So the census is enumerated mm. in terms of household, okay? Mm. That means that if I am, let's say, an adult living at home with my parents, I'm considered a homeowner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? It's the same with income is another problem. So income, house, people aren't good at estimating their household income because they'd have to know what everyone in the house is earning, especially mm-hmm. in these uh, houses. There's all the whole lot of things. If you, if you actually actively do the polling, which I do myself, uh, I always want to do a sample to understand, mm-hmm. really to kind of center yourself on what people are thinking and all this sort of stuff. You know, you see that you you have to simplify the questions for them to actually work. You have to yeah, kind of yeah. understand the public a little bit more. You have to modify it. You have to be more limited in what you're going to ask people. Sometimes when people are constructing these survey questions, you know they've never, they either haven't tested it on other people or they haven't even just thought about, these are ordinary people that need to answer your question here, mm-hmm. right? So 
simplification, shortening, all that sort of stuff is always really important. I mean, there's a whole lot of biases in polls. It, historically speaking, the, the left has always done well uh, in European elections until you adjust the fact that young people, people age 18 to 24, who are interested in politics or willing to take part in a poll, vote less. are also more likely to vote left. Oh, yeah. so, so amongst that 18 to 24 block, you, you basically have young left activists mm. and the rest, and the rest don't tend to tell you, so you have to adjust some of those sorts of things. There's so much complexity in this, but... Um, Look, Kevin, I'm going to wrap yeah. now, and I'm really, really grateful for your time, but I do want to I want to say um, on the one thing that you've sort of want listeners to, to dwell on is obviously the, the work that goes into it, how um, much effort and, and actual uh, analytics and data that, that pours into these polls that we that we pick over mostly on our Sunday shows with, with Harry himself. But but also the one thing that you've said, which was really interesting, you said at the outset, is it's clear to me, I think, that if we're talking just in Irish politics, the current polls are just a baseline because we, when if there is a surge or a decrease to come, it may not happen until the election is called again. And that that was the that was something that you've identified from the last one. And it does it does give us only you know this is this is really like the horses are all being trying to pushed into their into their starting positions. Yeah, I'll say two things about that. Right, one uh, normally that's really unusual that Sinn Fein did really well. Mm. Right, because. Normally, the pattern is government parties recover in the final period. Mm. And, you know, that is because the, the I believe this is because the, the nature of the media cycle changes when you hit a campaign. Mm. Up until the campaign, the media is doing its job, mm. you know, finding ways to improve government, basically mm. criticizing government, mm. which is fine. It's, it's its job and it improves society's progress. That's what that's why we live in a democracy. But when a campaign starts, they balance out the coverage. And so the coverage of the government shifts gear. And so normally... The, the normal historical pattern is governments improve Sinn Féin's opposition party. Not just that. Another campaign I was involved in was 2017 UK general election. Uh, the Labour Party started that campaign 25% within a week. It was at 40% an opposition party. So it suggests that and another one I was involved in, uh, albeit for the German Green Party, uh, the SDP mm. came out of nowhere mm. and surged by 15%. So these sorts of surges suggest it's not just 15% moving, it's an enormous number of people moving. So mm. there's that uncertainty there. The overall trend, as you say, shifts towards left. So if you're to predict anything, you know, you, you tend to think that well, the left should do a little bit better because that's the underlying trend. Mm. And then the second thing I'll say is, is just around like, if you were to predict an election the next, I'm sure Harry's stuff uh, shows the same effect. There is no government next time. No, not currently. No, and they were a long way off any, mm. right? So something significant has to happen to ha to in to ensure that we don't have two elections. Question is, what would happen in the second election? Could we Maltesify? I mean, these are just pie in the sky sort of ideas. Yeah. I mean, we it could turn into Malta, two party system. Who knows? Well, look, I just think it, it's 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 certainly food for thought. I'm really really grateful for all your time, and let's go have that point. So yeah, we've really yeah, earned yeah. it. Listen, folks, thanks for listening. We will be back um, in your feeds uh, early next week. We have a ton of stuff coming, and I. I think there's um, a conversation going to take place with uh, John Schwartz from The Intercept. Hopefully, John, um, we'll be able to connect with John hopefully early next week. So I'll get that into your feeds as quickly as we can. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. And we'll talk to you all very, very Thank soon. You. Thank care. you, Tony. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.